All right, welcome to Awaken, everyone. It's always such a weird transition to go from like the presence of God, not that we're not in the presence of God, but the presence of God to like all the lights on and everyone looking at me, it's fun. Um, all right, well, I know you guys have a lot of other things that you could be doing with your Thursday night, but I'm glad that you're choosing to spend it here with us. We love um, being here with all of you every week. It truly is our joy and an honor as a college staff to, to be here with you. And I would say especially because after tonight, we only have two Awakens left. I know, so sad. So if you didn't know, we have this week, next week, and then the Thursday after Thanksgiving, and then the semester is pretty much over, which is wild. Um, and it's going to come up really fast. And so there's a couple of things that before we jump into tonight, I want to put on your radar, okay? The first is that we're going to be having a baptism Sunday, not this coming Sunday, but the following one. So November, yeah, amen, right? So November 20th, it's Sunday, and uh, it's just going to be during our normal services. So we have a service at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. Maybe the details are up there. Yes, that's awesome. Um, and we will be having baptisms happen at both. Probably most of anyone in this room that is going to get baptized will be at the 10.45. So if you want to come party it up with your friends and the celebration of what baptism means, uh, probably come to that one. Um, and I know a lot of you guys are going to be out of town, but if you are in town, come. It's going to be awesome. And if you're like, hey, actually, I'm going to be here and I want to get baptized, then you can register at antiochphx.com slash events. And you're not paying anything. It's That would be weird. But registering is really just so that you know what you're getting into, first of all, so we can collect some information about you. And then we'll send you an email with everything that you need to know. So all of your questions will be answered there. And then... The second announcement that I have tonight is we only have two Awakens left after this one, right? But the following Thursday after our last Awaken, so that is going to be last Awaken, December, oh gosh, let's see if I get the dates right, December 1st, and then the week after that, December 8th, we are going to be doing a kind of end of the semester, encounter night, Christmas party hangout time, <laughs> however you want to, however you want to put that. So uh, we'll be meeting here, specific locations, TBD, but we will probably be in not this room actually, but the building, if you go out these doors and to the right, it's the kids building, we'll probably be over there. And really an encounter night is just a night where we create space to encounter the Lord. And it's a night of worship, prayer, um, ministering to the Lord, him ministering, ministering to us is awesome. And then afterwards, we'll hang out and eat some fun snacks and say bye to all your friends before you disperse for the holidays. Sound good? All right. Um, and then finally, the last thing is we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about summer missions trips. I know summer is a long way off, but I also know a lot of you are planners and you're already thinking through what summer is going to look like. And so if you're asking, God, what should I do with my summer? Add this to your list of things to ask him about. We have lots of different opportunities. I won't list them all. We've given you some information, but there's going to be a lot more in the back on the table in the back of the lobby there after tonight. And so if you're interested, you can go back there find a form to fill out using a QR code because you all are techie and know what that means. Some of the older people, I like have to walk them through like, this is what a QR code is. Here's how to use it, but I trust you guys. Um, so you can go scan the QR code, fill out the form, and it's not you committing to anything. It's just, hey, I'm interested, and here's specifically the trips that I'm interested in. We have three for college, so lots of opportunity for you to get out of America this summer. All right. So my name is Malia, and I am the college director here. So I oversee kind of our college ministry for both GCU. And, wow, you guys are awesome. Love you all. Thanks. Love you guys too. Um, so we have a few different schools represented. We have some of you guys that are not in school, but you're in college age, and you're trying to figure out what you're doing with your life, and that's a great time. We're also glad that you're here. And um, guys, honestly, this semester has been such a fun one for us. We have covered a lot of ground, it seems like, in a short period of time. So we started out the semester with a passion for Jesus and his purposes in the earth. That's who we are as a church. It's what we believe. And so we just started talking about what does it mean to be passionate people. 
And then unless I'm totally missing something, but I don't think I am, we did a little quick series called Anchored In, and that was kind of what it means to live a life that is anchored in Jesus and not really anything else. So we talked about obedience to Jesus, discipleship, um, honestly, a, a lot in a quick series, but it was fun. And then two weeks ago, Dawson, if he's in here, you guys know Dawson, um, but he brought an amazing word about replacing the fear of God, not the fear of God, excuse me, fear of people with the fear of God and with the boldness that the Holy Spirit gives us. And so last week we got to go to ASU and actually put that into practice together. It was so fun. Who was there? Nice. Guys, thank you for coming and enduring the freezing temperatures with us. And so that leaves us with three weeks left of the semester. And you may be wondering, what are we doing next? Great question. Um, <laughs> so really, as we plan out the semester, we just sit before God and we say, all right, God, what do you want to speak? How do you want to use these spaces where we're meeting together as college students and some non-college students? How do you want to use this space for us to meet with you, to encounter you, and to know you more? And um, really just we're going to follow his lead for the rest of the semester and see what he says. And so for this week, I felt like he was speaking about his goodness, right? God is good. You know that, um, did you ever go to churches or like, have you ever heard growing up the, you know, callback thing where someone says, God is good. And they say, and all the time. God is good, right? Okay, so that's like so ingrained in us. If you grew up in the church, if you've been around Jesus for a hot minute, that you've probably heard that a lot, right? God is good can become a little bit of a cliche at some points. But his goodness, guys, is so far from cliche. And I hope that when you, when you heard that we're talking about his goodness tonight, you didn't go, oh, I've heard this before. I'm just going to... Check out, think about what I'm gonna order in and out after the homework that I have to do later tonight. Some of you feel called out, that's okay. But really, <laughs> um, I wanna challenge that even if you're like, I've heard this before, I know what his goodness is, would you, would you stay engaged tonight? Because I really do believe that God is speaking and that he's moving, and if we're not staying engaged, we very easily can miss it, okay? So be ready for what he has to speak to you personally, by staying engaged. And what I have seen often is that I've heard messages where I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. Um, and he brings them up again later. Like the first time I heard them, it, wasn't, it didn't feel as relevant. And then a couple years or weeks or months later or whatever, all of a sudden he brings it to mind. And I'm like, oh, yeah, now that's really helpful. Thank you for reminding me of that. And so whatever you hear, God often can bring back up and use again in the future, all right? So whatever you hear tonight... God can use again. He's a big fan of recycling, all right? So God is inherently good. And I genuinely believe, this might be a controversial statement, maybe not, I don't know. But I genuinely believe that if there is even an ounce of God that is not good, everything that we believe as Christians falls apart. Like if you really think about it, all of what this says talks about his goodness. And so if he's not as good as he says he is, then the Bible that we base off of all of our life off of, the hope that we have in him, our salvation starts to crumble. So it's important to recognize not only that he is good, but to actually know it and believe it, right? Like if everything that we're believing hinges on that, then those are some high stakes. So let's take a, a look at a couple of things that the Bible says about his goodness just to get us started. In Psalm 34, 8, it says that we can experience his goodness for ourselves. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it's not just talking about like when you eat a really good meal and you're tasting of the Lord's goodness. That's not it. The, the word that's used there is actually like experience his goodness. It's pleading with us to actually know it for ourselves. His nature is shown and revealed to us in a lot of different ways. Psalm 145 uh, verses 8 through 9 says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So we can see his goodness and his mercy. Those are often paired together in the Bible, his goodness and his mercy which is awesome. He's really good and he's really merciful. 
thank goodness for us. But we can see that his goodness and his mercy and the grace and patience that he shows all of us. We know that he is the same God now as he was throughout the Bible. James uh, 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. His nature, who he is, is not ever going to change based on circumstances or how, he res- how we respond to him or any other factor in life. He can't help himself. It's just, it's who he is. He is inherently good. There's a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25. And this one is, Jesus talked to, told a lot of parables. And we often, as believers, will bring this one up when we want to talk about like stewardship or our faithfulness to God. And it's the one where he says, those who will be faithful with little will be faithful with much. But I want to look at it for a moment here because I think it also highlights what happens when we completely misunderstand his nature. So in this story, uh, you can find it in, you don't have to flip there, but if you want to, you can. Matthew 25, verses 20-ish. I have specifically 24 through 26, but uh, in this story, Jesus describes a man who's going out of town. And so uh, as he's leaving, he entrusts what he has to his servants. He's like, hey, going to be gone for a while. You guys look after my stuff. And we call his stuff talents. Not to be confused with like your skills, but just for whatever, I think it means something, but it's talents. Okay. So he gives his talents to his three servants. To one of them, he gives five talents. To another, he gives two. And to the last one, he gives one. Rip. Um, We know who the favorites are. And the first two servants were really faithful stewards of what they were given. They, they both doubled what he gave them. So they took their five or their two talents and they were like, great, I'm gonna do something with this. I'm gonna start a business. I'm gonna invest it. I don't really know what they did. The Bible's not clear. But at the end of the day, they turned the five into 10 and the two into four, which is pretty sweet. The last servant, however, took his one talent and buried it. One single talent just buried it in the ground. And so when his master comes back, the servant says, master, here's the thing. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you go, you can take it, it's yours. And what I see here is a man who did not understand his master's true nature. He didn't know what he was actually like at all. The other two servants did. They got the message. They were like, yeah, he's going to be really proud of me when he comes back and I I have done something with what he's given me, right? But this servant was not like the other two. He had a very distorted view of who his master was. And it caused fear in him. He even says that. He said, I was afraid and so I hid it. And what I see in that last sentence is him like, okay, like, have your stuff back. I would really rather just be done with this whole interaction. Don't want a lot to do with you. Let's move on from here, right? And unfortunately for him, the result is the master takes the one talent. So this guy has now nothing. And he gives it to the servant who has 10 talents. And this may seem like a random story when we're talking about the goodness of God. But when we misunderstand his nature like that servant did, We end up with a distorted view of who God is, and instead we believe that he is mean and manipulative and out to get us, when he's like, no, that's that's not it at all. That's not who I am. And yet some of us walk around like it is. We're cowering in fear of who God is because we don't understand what he's really like. And when we see him that way, we miss out on what he's wanting to give us. And I'm not just talking about, like, stuff. I mean, in the parable, yes, he's talking about talents, but I'm not talking about, like, oh, if you don't believe in God's goodness, you're going to miss out on his financial blessing or the good things that he has in store for you. But if we don't understand who his, his rightful nature is, then we will miss out on quite a bit of what he has to offer just because he's that good. Are you with me? We have to know that we love and serve a God who's good. If you were here on Sunday, hope you were. I was not, but I caught up later. Um, <laughs> and as I was, I was listening to the message, I hope that you guys caught something that Greg said that I also caught. And he said there is a difference between knowing something 
and believing it. And for whatever reason, there's this pretty common disconnect that happens between our head and our hearts. Some people call it like the 18-inch journey because it's kind of the distance between your head and your heart. And this happens in a lot of ways, but the problem with that is what we believe often influences how we act and how we respond a lot more than what we know does, right? Like when I was a college student, I could know that getting my homework done early and on time meant that I would be a lot less stressed, I would probably do it more excellently, and I would probably have way more time to do the things that I enjoy, right? You guys can relate, you're college students. However, even though that's what I knew, what I actually believed was that if I wait till the very last minute, it's probably gonna be fine, and I probably won't be that stressed out, and there's probably like seven other fun things I could fit in between now and then, right? What do you think I ended up doing more often? Procrastinating, right. Yeah, I know some of you do that too. It's relatable, it's, it's real. So we have to bridge the gap between what we know and what we believe all the time. And this is part of a work of maturity for us as people and as followers of Jesus. There's a maturing that we have to do where we have to choose, I'm going to believe something rather than just know it, okay? So what does it take to connect our head and our heart when it comes to God's nature? To start... I think we have to let God define his own attributes. For example, my dad, um, he makes a lot of stuff out of wood. He's kind of in the construction industry, but he's like not in construction. He's not a carpenter or anything like that. He just has this whole workshop in our garage. Um, well, I guess his garage, I don't live there, but in his garage with all of these different tools and, and wood, and he just makes stuff all the time. And so growing up, I've spent a lot of time sitting there watching him make different things and ask questions along the way and tried to learn. How much have I learned? I don't know, but I've tried. And uh, one thing that I noticed a couple of years ago is that when he would cut wood, he would line up the wood, he would measure it out, and he would cut it. And then he would take the next piece of wood and he would line it up and he would measure it out and he would cut it. And I was like, well, I feel like there's a better way to do this. Like, what if you just stack one piece of wood on the other and then you cut it from there? Because they're the same length, right? Like, the wood you just cut and the wood that you measured is the same. Like, you can just keep cutting it based off of the one before. That would probably save time rather than lining it up, measuring it, cutting it all over again. And the problem with that, you can probably see where this is going, the problem with that is as you do that more and more, um, it's a lot less accurate. So if I did that 50 times, the 50th piece of wood would be a very different length than the original one, right? Because you're changing the standard of which you're, what you're measuring every single time. But that's what we tend to do if we're being honest. We measure how, God, how good God is based on whatever we have decided is good enough to use as a measuring stick, which is usually actually ourselves. In Luke 18, 19, Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. No one. I'm not good. You're not good. Your best friend is not good. Your significant other, whoever, you're like, I think the world of this person, they're actually not that good. Sorry to break it to you. But when we compare God's goodness with our limited understanding of what is good, then the conclusion will always be wrong. Always. Because as humans, with a human nature, we don't have an, an idea of what true goodness is. Every good thing that we could do will still have selfish motives or the wrong intentions. Like, have you ever sat there and tried to think of an actual good act? Because almost anything that we do comes with the like, oh, but I, like, I'm doing this in secret, but I hope that someone actually sees me anyways, you know? Or like, I'm doing this expecting nothing in return, but I really do hope that that person will remember it anyway. You know, like, however you look at it, there's always something in us that has some, a slightly distorted intention because it's who we are. It's our human nature. We're, we're selfish people, if we're being really honest. 
And so if our standard is actually not as good as we think it is, then who are we to define what is and what is not good? But we make ourselves the judge anyways of whether God is good or not, and based on the answer, we decide whether or not we can really trust him. So no one is good except God alone. And if that's true, then he must be the one that we look to for the standard. For me, I've known God's, what God's nature is my whole life. I grew up in a Christian home. So, okay, Christian home, like whole family loves Jesus. Immediate family, extended family. There's like pastors and Christian camp directors in there. Like everyone loves Jesus. Praise God. Have gone to church since like week one. I think literally I was born on a Sunday and the next Sunday I was in church, okay? I went to a Christian high school, so I had Bible classes. I went to GCU, so I had more Bible classes. I was actively involved in a youth group throughout my whole life. Like 24-7, we were talking about God in some capacity, right? I knew a lot about who God was. And once I got to college, well, maybe like late high school, early college, somewhere in there, I kind of started to realize, I think, I don't think I want to just know a lot about God, but I think I want to really know God for myself. And thankfully, I found myself around people who actively walked that out. They modeled what it looked like to live life with Jesus. And it felt like for the first time in my whole life, I wasn't just learning about him, but I was actually getting to know him. I was experiencing who he was in a really personal way, like that psalm says, right? Taste and see that God is good. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually getting it. Like I'm experiencing who he is for myself. And as I got to be around different types of people, like made a lot of random friends. I feel like my friend group kind of changed every year, um, which is great in some ways, but I started to see a lot of different backgrounds and kind of noticed that my, my story and where I came from was really unique. Like most of my friends had really heavy family problems, had identity issues. There was tragedies that they either had walked through or were currently walking through. Like there was just a lot of brokenness in a lot of my friends' backgrounds. And as I started to recognize that, I was like, oh, <laughs> not that hard things haven't happened, but like in all honesty, it hasn't been that bad. Like I just haven't had a lot of super, super challenging things. Again, not that nothing bad had ever happened, but whatever. Um, I just noticed that there was a lot less of that in my life. And so I was like, wow, God, thank you for that. Like, that's, that's awesome. Um, I, think, I think I've built up this foundation of, of knowing you that like when hard hardships and trials and challenges come, because the Bible says that they will, like no one is ever, no one's ever like, no, your life is gonna be easy. Like people are honest, it's gonna be hard, right? The Bible is honest, it's gonna be hard. And so I knew when trials came, I was like, I think I'm good. Like, I think I have this really good foundation to, to lean on. I know a lot about God. I know all of his characteristics, his attributes. I could probably per, pull some Bible verses out if I need to, just to like remind myself, like, oh yeah, this is true. Like, I'm, I'm kind of set. Yeah, someone's laughing, you get it. Um, <laughs> and so, let's see. The problem with that is, um, that I was defining all of these attributes and characteristics of God by my own terms. You see what the problem with that is? Because what do we just talk about? When you, met, you use yourself as the measuring stick, things go south really fast. And so when I was like, oh yeah, God is good, I, I said he was good based on my definition of goodness. And eventually, as promised, trials came. And suddenly... I found myself in the middle of a very intense season of anxiety. And throughout, so throughout my life, I had a lot of, um, this is so weird, but I had a lot of dreams of being in car accidents and like, like pretty much every, every sort that you could have of a, a nightmare, it was like I was the driver or I was the passenger or I was the one that caused it or it was really just an accident. And it wasn't even just me. There's like people I knew that would also have these dreams about me and share them with me. Right, don't do that to your friends, it's not helpful. And so I had this underlying fear for most of my life. I was like convinced, I'm like, that's how I'm gonna die. It's gonna be in an accident, it's, it might be my fault, I don't know, but like, 
this is going to happen and it's going to go south really fast. And so there was always this underlying fear in me. And one night, my best friend was in a really, car, a really bad car accident. And there was a lot of uncertainty for several weeks of whether she would survive it and if she did, what extent the damage would be. Thankfully, she did. She has the exact same personality that she used to. Praise God. Um, but that event sent me on this spiral of anxiety. And before that, I really had never understood anxiety at all. I was like, I just, I don't really get that. I'm not really like a stressed out person. Like I'm pretty chill, kind of go with the flow. Things can roll off my back pretty easily. And so suddenly I'm sitting there in this constant state of like, oh my gosh, what, what is happening around me? What is going on? Um, and this anxiety just seemed to always be with me. And so what was weird is around the same time, because the devil is real and he loves to kick us when we're down, every single time I got in my car to drive somewhere, I would either pass a car accident or almost get hit. So this wasn't like my fault. This was like absurd, like people would come across multiple lanes and almost hit me every single time for six months. And every time that would happen, I would like hit full panic mode. I was like, I cannot do this. And um, as this was happening, I had a really hard time seeing God in it. And I was still spending time with him. But my time with him looked a lot less like, Jesus, I love you, and more like, okay, here's my list of prayer requests. I'm reading the Bible because that's what you're supposed to do. And now I can say I spent time with God today. Check. And I, I called it time with God, but was it really, I don't know. He's there, but anyway, I wasn't. So the reality is that as I was experiencing this, I just didn't know how to interact with him anymore. And so one day I'm driving to church and it's early and I'm not a morning person. So I was already not in a stellar mood and I'm getting off the freeway, turning onto Warner and I'm exhausted. I'm at the end of myself and sure enough, just like every other time, this car turns from its lane into almost my lane and just barely avoids hitting my car. And I don't know what it was about this day, but I just, I had it. I was like, I just can't do this anymore. And so I feel this familiar now sense of anxiety rising up in me. And I hadn't heard the Lord very clearly in, in a couple months probably at this point. But all of a sudden, he so clearly interrupts this panic that's rising up in me. And he says, Malia, why are you so afraid? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> are, we, are we really doing this right now? He's like, no, I'm serious. Like, what's the worst that could happen? And at that point, I started getting a little bit offended. I was like, do, we, do you not see the same things I'm seeing? Like, I'm literally watching the worst case scenario, scenario play out in my best friend's life. And you're, you're asking me, what's the worst that can happen? Like, that's a little rude. And so I start walking him through what worst case scenario is. I was like, well, if I get into an accident, I could end up in the hospital. Um, I could be really hurt. He's like, okay, is that all? Like, I could lose all of my ability to function independently. I could lose all my friends. I could lose all sense of normalcy. And all of this I can literally see happening um, secondhand, right? And again, he just says, okay, is that all? And I was a little bit angry because I'm like, God, that's not okay. And he goes, ah, that's it. You, you don't believe that I'm actually good. Because if you believed in my goodness, then anything could happen and you would still be able to trust me. But because you don't, you don't trust that I'm going to keep you safe. You don't trust that I can use all things for your good and my glory. And you don't trust that I love you and I'm for you. And so I realized in that moment that I was at a crossroads. And I had to make a decision. And I could either choose to keep my belief and be angry at God for his goodness, not looking like how I thought it should. Or I could choose to shape my belief around the Bible that I knew was true. And in God's kindness and in his mercy, I felt like right then he gave me a picture of what my life would look like five, ten years in the future if I chose the first one. 
And if I chose to define goodness my way and believe that he did not fit into that, I would eventually reject him altogether, live my life however I wanted, and I would end up bitter and cynical and absolutely miserable. And granted, I was pretty miserable in that moment, but like this, this way looked a lot worse. And when I considered the second option that he gave me, I was reminded of when Peter has a similar moment with Jesus. In John 6, Jesus is talking to this massive crowd of people, and he's trying to explain to them who he is, but it just didn't really fit in with who they thought he was going to be like. And so it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They also walked away. And so Jesus looked at his 12, his homies, the apostles, right? And he said, do you want to go away as well? Similar crossroads. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, when we look to anyone else to tell us who God is, we're missing it. He has the words of eternal life. So that means this, his word, holds the words of eternal life. And so when he says in this book, I am good, we have to believe him at his, at his word. So then in there, I decided, all right, no matter how long it takes or what it takes, then I will work to understand what your goodness means. And do you hear that that was not an emotion? That wasn't like, wow, I encountered the Lord, he met me there, and then I felt so much better and everything was different. That's not what happened. It was a choice that I had to step into to shape my beliefs around his truth. We either choose to align our beliefs with the word of God, even when it's uncomfortable and difficult, or we allow our beliefs to be swayed by something else. And whatever else it is, if it's not the word of God, it's not true. No one is good except God alone. And therefore, he must be the one to define goodness, and we must choose to believe him. And I'm, I'm not talking about like some kind of foolish blind belief where like literally anything happens and we're like God works in mysterious ways it must be his goodness and we just don't understand it that's not what I'm talking about okay that's not real like there's a very real enemy at work against us pretty much all the time and sometimes he is very effective and I strongly disagree when people try to give God credit for the things that the enemy does. And that's what happens when we're like, I don't know, God works in mysterious ways. Like, yes, he does work in mysterious ways, but when we attribute terrible things to his goodness, that's not fair. We can't change our minds about who we think he is based on circumstances and the events of our lives. And What's funny is our opinion of him doesn't actually change who he is anyways, right? Like, he is going to be who he is going to be no matter what we think. What it does change is how we interact with him. So what we believe and how we see him really does matter a lot. When I decided to press in to knowing God more fully, life didn't get easier. It actually, circumstantially, it got a lot worse and a lot harder. But every day, I would acknowledge the distance that I had put between myself and the Lord out of my own hurt and anger and disbelief. And so I would sit in my car and I would just pray, God, I need you to show me who you are. Would you help me see the reality of your goodness in my life? Because it's real, I just didn't see it, right? And sometimes you just need to start there. Like, you just got to start asking him. We way underestimate prayer sometimes when we ask him for what we need. Matthew 7, 11 says, If you then, being evil, so Jesus speaking to us, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? When we don't understand him, you guys, he wants us to come to him and ask him 
and not to just go figure it out for ourselves because we will get it wrong. So I started asking him to teach me about who he was every time I felt anxiety for the next like eight months. And my perspective started to change real quick. I actually became so thankful for the time that I had to meet with him in the car. Because every time there was an invitation for me to choose fear or the goodness of God, it was an invitation. And so when I chose to press into him, I encountered his goodness, his glory, his presence, more there than anywhere else. And it was there that he taught me his definition of his goodness. And what he, what he taught me came from Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. And the Lord said, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In his goodness, he calls us his own. Can we recognize what a big deal that is that the God of the universe looks at us and says, you are my own? He says, no matter what happens, no matter what trials may come your way, you are mine. And when you endure those, I will be with you. You will not be overwhelmed and you will not be burned by life because I have already saved you. I am the Lord, your God. Isn't that amazing? You know who lived this out really, really well in the Bible? Yes, there's probably a lot of really good answers. <laughs> um, trick question. Uh, Joseph is actually the story that I love because he sets this example <laughs> um, of believing in God's goodness even when his life sucked. Like, you can read about it in Genesis 37 through 50. It's pretty long, so we're not all going to read it right now. Read it on your own time. It's good. But in, a, in summary, Joseph was a teenager, and he had a lot of brothers. And sometimes brothers play tricks on their little brothers, except this went a little bit further. They sold him into slavery. Bummer. And so while he's in slavery... He's wrongly put into prison for doing the right thing. Like, he actually has integrity, and they're like, hmm, jail. Bummer. <laughs> he helps a guy get out of prison, like this guy that has the, the influence to help Joseph also get out of prison. And once this guy gets out, he completely forgets that Joseph exists. Like, that's a rough day. Am I right? Joseph was abandoned. He was mistreated, he was falsely accused, and so much worse. And yet, in all of that, we never see him doubt God's goodness or his character in any way. Instead, the Bible says um, it was obvious to everyone around him that God was with him. And he gave God the glory every chance that he possibly could. He believed in what he knew of God, even though it did not seem like it at the time. And once he finally got out of prison, God said, hey, Joseph, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Um, there's a famine coming, and it's going to last for seven years. And so he, he was in the position to hear that from the Lord, because in all of that hardship, he didn't stiff arm God. He wasn't like, ah, this sucks. You stay over there because you're mean. But he drew near to God. And so when God spoke, he was able to recognize what he sounded like. And because of that, Joseph was in a position where he, um, he was second in command over all of Egypt. He finally stepped into the favor of the Lord. It took a while to get there, but he did it. And so he's second in command over all of Egypt. And because he has this word of the Lord, he spends seven years getting the whole country ready for this famine that's going to come. Um, just as a side note, before, right before the famine hits, Joseph has two sons. And this seems like such an irrelevant detail, except that I, I really do think that everything in the Bible is for a reason. Sometimes we may not know the reason just yet, 
But I love that this is in there because the name that he gives his sons are Manasseh and Ephraim. And Manasseh means God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And Ephraim means for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. See, when he looked back over his life and his story, what he saw was God's goodness woven through all of it. So much so that he named his sons after the testimony that God had given him. And at the very end of Joseph's story, um, there's this nice little family family reunion, and um, his brothers come to him, the, the brothers that sold him into slavery, by the way, and they come to him, and he says, oh, guys, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And do you catch that? He didn't just see God's goodness over his whole life, but he recognized in his maturity that God's goodness was for something other than himself too. Like, yes, it was absolutely for Joseph and his family, but it also was for thousands and thousands of other people who were alive because he knew how to draw near to God and hear his wisdom and his voice and respond to it. He's like, guys, look at how good God is to our entire country. He used a crazy series of events for their good and for his glory. We need more Josephs in the world. (laughs) Maybe you need to be Joseph and believe God's goodness being made known um, to the world around you. Something to pray about. So we have to know that God is good. And once we know that, we must believe it, not just know it in our head, but believe it in our hearts. And our beliefs are what we choose, and anything that we choose to align our beliefs with that is not the word of God is not true. Okay? You guys with me? Thank you. So that's awesome. What does this mean, actually, for our day-to-day lives? How do we live out his goodness when we're just stuck on a college campus, living out our day-to-day, going to classes and work and hammocking on the quad or whatever it is that you do, like what does it look like to live that out in the mundane moments of life? Well, I wanna submit to you tonight that David answered that question well in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, I'm sure, is one that you all have heard many times before. It's the most well-known Psalm of all. And typically, it's believed that David wrote this not when he was a shepherd, but after he had become king. And so he's reflecting on his days when he was a shepherd and when he spent time with the sheep and the Lord, basically. But he had this, as he's writing this from being king, it's, he's drawing on this history that he has with the Lord over the course of his life. Like, he had a long history with the Lord. And so he writes... The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What I see David describing here is a life lived from deeply knowing the goodness of God. Like if you read back through Psalm 23, let's look at the kind of life he's talking about. It's a life of contentment, of trusting that the Lord is going to provide for his every need. It's a life of rest, knowing that he doesn't have to earn God's love and affection. It's a life of restoration, wholeness, and health. It's a life of righteousness. It's a life that does not fear because we know that God is with us. It's a life that finds comfort in him, not comfortability. That's different. Comfort in the Lord. And it's a life of recognizing the abundance that he offers us. 
It's a life that he sees his goodness and mercy woven throughout all of it. And it's a life that is spent in the presence of God. How many of us would say that that is our daily experience? All of that. If it's not, I really do believe that it can be. I'm not just saying that. I really do believe that we can, we can live a life like that because we so deeply know the goodness of God because David did it first. And what it takes is asking God, God, would you show me your goodness and mercy following me today? And then we don't just ask him that, but we actually have to go and look for it. Because faith in God requires participation on our side. We can't just be like, okay, God, you do your thing. I'm going to stand over here. If I happen to catch it, awesome. We can't get mad at God for not showing up when we also forget to show up, right? All right. There's a few different ways that I think how we can respond to tonight. I know this was like a little bit, there were a lot of different pieces here. So whatever God is putting on your heart, respond to that. But if you're like, I, I don't really know what it is, I'm just going to Name off a few things, okay? Because I think there's three really practical ways that he is leading us into tonight in response. If you really resonated um, in the beginning with the servant who didn't see his master rightly, then I really believe, guys, that God is longing for you to taste and see his goodness tonight. And I know that there's a lot of different reasons why that may be the case. For some of you, you may have in all honesty, never experienced a father that is actually good. And so the idea of God being a good father seems impossible. Or on the flip side, you may believe that his goodness is actually for everyone else, just not you. You're like, no, like I've done a lot of, of really bad things. So it makes sense that God's goodness is for everyone else, but I don't think it's for me. And if those are your beliefs tonight, then I wanna say that I am so sorry that that has been your experience. And I can promise you, he really is as good as he says he is. You are not excluded or disqualified from receiving his goodness. So we're gonna have our, our college staff up here and we would love to pray for you. If that's you, and if you just need prayer, that's cool too, come forward. But if that's you specifically, come forward because we would love to pray with you in that and believe for you to see the goodness of God tonight. And if you resonate with me about um, my story of like mentally knowing that God is good and not fully believing it, then I wanna invite you into um, just a really honest place with the Lord tonight because it doesn't do him or us any favors at all when we're like, oh God, no, you're so good. You're, you're really good. I promise you're good, you're good. And then secretly we're like, but I don't really know if I can trust you with my future. Like, who is that benefiting? God knows everything already. He knows our thoughts, he knows our heart. But we think that we can say, God, you're good. And then we keep this whole section of our hearts and our minds separate from him. And he can't come in and heal that or respond to that because we won't let him because we're not being honest with him. And so maybe tonight you need to bridge the gap between what you know and what you believe, between your head and your heart. And just start with saying, God, I don't know if I believe you're as good as you say you are. But will you speak into my fears and my doubts and my questions? And then write it down, write down what he responds to you. You don't have to call it journaling if you don't want to, that's fine. But record your history with the Lord like David did. That's important for you to look back on and say, oh yeah, there was a hard thing and God met me there and here's what he spoke. Like we need those reminders, guys. The amount of times I have gone back, I have so many old journals, the amount of times I have gone back and reminded myself of his promises and what he has spoken has been so helpful in my walk with Jesus. And so we have to write it down. And so just tonight, write down whatever you feel like he's speaking. When you're like, God, here's, here's me being really honest with you. And he says something, write it down and then look at it compared to scripture. If you need help with that, bring someone into it. But look at it compared to scripture. And if it aligns, then choose to believe it. 
And finally, I think the last place for us to respond tonight is some of us might just be feeling kind of stuck. Like, I'm not not seeing his goodness, but I'm not really seeing his goodness, you know what I mean? And I think his challenge for, for you tonight is to ask him what it looks like to risk with him. Because if he really is good, then risking with him is actually not that risky. If you read through the gospels, Jesus did some pretty radical, risky things. But at the same time, as he constantly took these big risks, he was constantly revealing the goodness of the Father to the world around him. Like Jesus healed the sick. When was the last time you were like, I'm just gonna pray for someone to get healed? Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was never, but that's pretty risky, right? He brought hope to the hopeless. Maybe you need to speak hope into someone's life. I don't know. He brought light to dark places. And he did so much more because he was like, they have to know how good my father is. They have to know that there's a God who loves them and is for them. And if you ask him that, like, hey, God, if you're good, which he is, then where can I risk with you? I don't think you will feel stuck in the mundane anymore if you actually do what he says. Like that gets us out of a rut real quick. Obedience to the Lord, real quick. So we're just gonna end in a time of worship. Um, that could be like standing, singing songs. That could be sitting on the floor, processing some of those questions. That could be getting prayer. But whatever it is, actually just respond to God. Respond to what he's speaking to you tonight and doing in you, okay? So Jesus, God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are trustworthy and that you are faithful. God, we thank you that your word is true, that we can understand who you are from reading it. And Lord, we ask you to come tonight to come and speak to us, to show us what places of our heart are holding on to disbelief. God, would you bring lies to the surface that need to be um, replaced with truth tonight about who you are? God, we need you. We're messy people that need you a lot. And I thank you that every time we ask you to come, you do. So God, we invite you to come tonight. We invite your presence would you stir our hearts to respond to you? And God, would we leave this place looking a little bit different? God, would we leave looking more like you, knowing more of who you are, and not just knowing who you are, but believing it in our hearts and in our souls? Would you come and have your way tonight? Go ahead and stand to your feet. We're just gonna worship the Lord together.